Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers. Welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host. And today we welcome back by popular demand, the great Matthew Michael Witz. Matthew has more than 20 years of experience in starting and running high growth tech companies, especially in the areas of machine learning, predictive analytics, and decision optimization. He's currently the CEO of Complexica, a provider of artificial intelligence software for the supply and demand of optimization and a director of several ASX-listed companies. In today's podcast, Matt and I discuss his new book in which he co-authors called The Rise of Artificial Intelligence. Matt's book is important for any modern business leader, executive or manager who is interested in learning the basic fundamentals of artificial intelligence and what has propelled it to the level of popularity and prominence that it enjoys today. There was no real topic too difficult for Matt as we talked about the potential of existential threat of AI and how Matt is much more optimistic about the rise and benefits of AI in lieu of a company like Skynet taking over the world like we see on the movie Terminator. Matt also shares some of his concerns and provides a different perspective on some of the risks that the rise of AI bring. Matt's been kind enough to share the first two chapters of his book and there you'll see them attached to our show notes. This is a jam-packed episode filled with knowledge that has been extensively researched and one that I know everyone will enjoy as much as I did. Hope you check it out. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host, and today we welcome back Matt Mikhailovich. Now, I, I pronounced that wrong last time. How did you pronounce it? Yeah, you it? pronounced it wrong this time. I did right. too. Didn't <laughs> We're off to a good start. Two for two. Yeah. <laughs> I just remembered as yeah. I said it. How do you pronounce your surname? Michael Witch. Michael Witch. There you go. So, you are packed, backed by uh, popular demand. We have had uh, some really, really great feedback. One of our most listened to podcasts, I've gotten text message after text message from Entrepreneur after to anyone who's really in business and wanting to grow their career, uh, messaging me, telling me how great that was to listen to. Oh, people fantastic. have listened to two or three times. Wow. Uh, so well, most people don't have me back, so that's very nice no, of you to say. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> no, it's great to have you back. Well, uh, on the podcast, we talked about getting you on for the discussion in AI because yes. you mentioned you're writing yes. a book. Yes, yes. So can you tell us a little bit about that book? <clears throat> yeah, so the name of it is The Rise of AI, of Artificial Intelligence. It's focused really on business applications to improve revenue margin outcomes. So it's written for a business manager, an executive, someone that doesn't come from a technical background and really wants a demystification of the subject, starting with uh, an introduction to the field, what is it, all the way through at the very end, case studies, application areas, and everything in between, uh, prediction, machine learning, data, et cetera, all, the, all those elements you really want to understand but somehow or rather have never gotten around to kind of piecing all of, all of it together to, to get a view of it. So very much oriented towards business people. So I'll, uh, I'll definitely get a copy You'll have of the that. first copy. In the mail. So I've already <laughs> promised the first copy. So you have the <laughs> <Really>? second. <laughs> okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> so 
what is your definition of AI? I mean, we all know that AI yeah. is out there, it's changing the world, but what's your definition of AI? Yeah, my, my definition is it's a field, a research field that tries to replicate humanity. That's my uh, definition of it. It is uh, comprised of a lot of subfields and, and sub-research areas, which we can discuss in, uh, in this podcast. But overall, it's an attempt to artificially replicate ourselves mm -hmm. as, uh, as a view. So to, to be artificially intelligent, you typically need sensory information as well. So you need to replicate sight, you need to replicate touch, you need to replicate movement so you can sense the environment. You need to replicate communication, speech, hearing. And what you end up actually replicating is the entire human biological body. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a fascinating area and, and quite old and dated, uh, despite the recent hype, which I find the, the most interesting. Well, yes, we'll go on to that. Was it Alan Turing that sort of was he? Yeah, the, is he the mastermind or the inventor behind? We, many people credit him as credit. being uh, the father of artificial intelligence. I think he had uh, the first uh, public lectures and mm -hmm. publications where he talked about thinking machines and yeah. and machines that can learn by themselves from experience and and so forth. Uh, and uh, and I think that was late forties. From, uh, from yeah. a long time ago. It was a long time ago, which is amazing considering where we are today. So is the ultimate idea of AI to replace humans in work? Uh, uh, it depends who you ask. If you ask the worker, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you ask the CEO that is of a major corporation that is incentivized to create uh, labor efficiencies and improve bottom line and is bonused on shareholder um, value and returns, absolutely. So, And, and this is an interesting uh, point that you've actually raised. I don't really believe that innovation happens just for the sake of innovation. I think it's really driven by capitalism. Mm -hmm. So you have this uh, um, huge competitive forces and pressures in the market of all these public companies and large private companies competing with one another, wanting to create competitive advantage, wanting to be more efficient, wanting to be uh, more profitable, and they turn to technology to accomplish that. And mm -hmm. this is kind of, it's kind of like an arms race, yep. except in business, it's an innovation race. Yep. So all of these innovations that are happening in the world are in large part driven by capitalism to improve a competitive position of a company. And the, God, the ultimate dream would be to have, you know, no workers in a business, everything's done by machines, but then everyone would be out of work and there'd be no one, no one would be able to afford the products of that company. So yeah, it, <laughs> it has to be a balance somewhere. It does. What's, the diff what's the difference between machine learning and deep learning and artificial intelligence, yeah. I guess? Is there a difference? Maybe. Uh, yes, there is a difference. And uh, and I'll put them all into perspective. Maybe I'll take one step back and kind of in a, in a minute explain how all the pieces fit together. Yeah, okay. So so if we think of AI as replicating the human body or attempting to replicate the human body, there are really four predominant research areas. One of them is robotics, which is the replication mm -hmm. of movement. Another one is computer vision, which is the replication of sight and uh, image recognition, looking at moving imagery, videos, photographs, and so on. The third area is natural language processing, Siri, Google, Alexa, yeah. um, the replication of, of the speech uh, mm -hmm. 
uh, element of existence. And the last one, which is the most interesting and the most challenging, is cognitive computing, which is the attempt to replicate brain functions. So you've got these problem areas, and, they, and, and think of them as, as cutting vertically down, yeah. and there's four of them. And then cutting across these uh, problem areas is you have algorithmic uh, um, research uh, in, into various algorithmic techniques and methods. And they cut across because a technique like neural networks, which we can, we can talk about a little bit later mm -hmm. on, is applied in all four of those areas. So you have some computer scientists that specialize in a domain. They, they become uh, scientists that specialize in computer vision. They experiment with a wide variety of different algorithms to see if they can produce better results mm -hmm. on uh, recognizing objects, et cetera. And then you've got other types of scientists, my father fits into this category, that have been algorithmic specialists yep. and they specialize in an algorithm. So if you have this, and the algorithms cut horizontally. So if you have that in your mind, the problem's cutting vertically and the algorithm's cutting horizontally, machine learning is a set of algorithms that sits in that horizontal cross-section and within machine learning is a technique called deep learning okay which also cuts cuts across through. and so deep learning has been applied to robotics to vision systems yep. natural language processing and cognitive computing yep. it's it's and it's an advanced form of neural networks mm -hmm. which has been around for a long time very good now your father's just been awarded well recognized to be one of the most influential in the AI space, is that correct? Yeah, my father's won a, a lot of awards over the years. Uh, I, I was actually lucky enough uh, to be raised inside of a university, so to speak. My father moved into AI in 1982, and uh, I was six at the time. And every day after school, so this was grade one, I would go to the university, which was like 10 minutes walking distance, sit in my father's office and play video games or draw pictures on the whiteboard. <laughs> I think it was a chalkboard at the time, actually, <laughs> yeah. actually going, going back to, to, to 82. Yeah. While in the background, he met with other professors or with PhD students talking about neural networks or machine learning or uh, elements of the Turing test and so on. So it was from a very early age, kind of the vernacular uh, that, uh, uh, that I grew up with. And since that time, I think my father's written, gosh, um, three, 400 research publications, dozens of books, and has uh, become one of the leaders in an area of algorithmic technology called evolutionary computation, which he oh. often gets, I think he's the most cited person in that area in the yeah, world wow. and, and gets often uh, awards and, and speaks at events because of it. Well done. <clears throat> Obviously, a good business partner to, yeah, to yeah. have within the complexity. You know, <clears throat> I think, uh, actually, I'm not sure if we touched upon this before, but I, for the entrepreneurs that are listening to this, I always give the advice, team up with people that are good at doing what you're not good at doing. Yeah. So there's probably nothing worse than three identical people with the same skills, the same everything, teaming up and creating a business. Not, not that it will fail, but it, it, it makes it harder. So. Uh, Complexica and before it solve it and before it uh, new tech all of those companies had really uh, three very different people so I come fr from an angle of sales entrepreneurship vision leadership yep. my father comes with the element of science mm -hmm. and then the third business partner Constantine comes purely from this uh, enterprise software element to it yeah. architecting uh, large-scale software systems integrating uh, making sure you have you know 99% uptime and so on. So the different skills 
make for a great partnership to be able to execute in the marketplace. If there was three of me in here, we wouldn't get anything no. done. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't be talking to me about AI. <laughs> no. Yeah, you wouldn't be on my interview list. The, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm staring. The, yeah, Michelle and my, my business partner, Michelle and I, exactly the same. I'm probably sitting in the same world as you, a little bit more on, on the sales side, the business yeah. growth side, uh, and Michelle's very much around the leadership culture, building a, a sustainable business uh, and also the technical she brings the technical experience to the, the, yeah. the service that we Very offer. Very important. Well. Absolutely. Yeah, we need. We need. <laughs> I yeah. used to teach for a long time at Adelaide Uni, probably for a decade, a, a semester course every year on entrepreneurship for computer science okay. uh, graduates. And I've, uh, I've I run it every year at Complexica for the team mm -hmm. over here and, and in, in the other offices. So I think, and it's a thing I always stress, get together with people that compliment you because when you think about all the things that an entrepreneur needs to do to start and grow a business, it's a lot of required skills. Absolutely. So if you can have a team where you cover the majority of those skills, not as you as yeah. an individual, but as a team, you have such an advantage. Absolutely. We just spoke about this on the last podcast with uh, with Schwarzenegger and how he said that he built a team. Uh, well, he owes all his success to his team, not his individual. I, yeah. I thought it was his hard work in the gym. Well, yeah, correct. Yeah. <laughs> the, the dumbbells. That he with dumbbells. So just on Complexica, you offer AI service. I understand it's – Larry, the digital analyst, uh, what if simulator and the decision cloud? Is that the three? I'll, I'll explain it uh, in the easiest language in I can. Easiest. It's software, software that improves decision-making in companies. Okay, and there's two elements to the software. There's the software itself that a user would use. Mm -hmm. They log in somewhere, they see a screen, they yep. see slotting boards or planning boards, etc. So it's not like Larry has a seat in the, as his own seat in the business? He's no, a, no, no <laughs> but he has his own seat in the software. Oh, there you go. So, so what, it, what ends up happening is in that uh, environment called Decision Cloud, which has modules to it, depending on what, uh, business function you're sitting in, mm -hmm. sales, marketing, supply chain, and so on. There are very complex uh, tasks that need to be executed. And by asking Larry, you trigger the AI engine. And through a, sometimes it takes 10 seconds, sometimes a minute, depending on the complexity yeah. of the, the problem, the recommended answer comes oh, to wow. the user. So there's two levels to it. The engine by itself would be difficult to use because there's no screens, there'd be yeah. no interval, et cetera. And then a system without any intelligence behind it, it's very nice, but God, wouldn't it be great to push a button and have a machine tell you what to do based upon considering everything that's out there? Yeah, so is that helping the, the CE? and the CFO and, and the likes to make decisions and the board to make decisions no, on? Not so much at the board. It's usually line of business. Uh, uh, an example from South Australia is anyone that shops in Sip and Saves or Celebrations or Thirsty Cat, all of those stores, if you walk in, every product and the price uh, and what the, is in the catalog comes from our software. Oh, wow. As, a, as an example. So, And you can imagine- ba Based on what information? With the when they in head office in Sydney, when these companies come up with promotions going forward yeah. and what pricing, they're really trying to make decisions that maximize volume and margin, mm -hmm. and all of those decisions are based on predictions. So, so say um, we were running the uh, vodka category or the spirits category in one of these retailers, we might think that in December this year it would be a good idea to put absolute vodka on promotion in South Australia, twenty percent off. So, to evaluate that decision, you need to predict 
how much more you'll sell, which is time specific, product specific, and geography specific. Mm -hmm. Then you need to predict what kind of uh, drop you will have in sales from competing products because people switch to the one that's on yeah. promotion. Yeah. And then you need to predict if there's going to be a basket effect. If are people going to buy other products with the vodka, yeah. or are you just going to have the heavy drinkers come out of the woods and <laughs> yeah. stock up and and leave? So those are very complex predictions to make, and that's you know one product and one geography and one time period. Yep. Imagine trying to make ten thousand decisions like that. Yeah, wow. So so and then the prices can be infinite. It doesn't have to be twenty percent off. It can be 21, 25, 50, two for one, three for one, yeah. uh, multi buy, uh, etc. So you so AI the, the, tying back to the theme is really well suited for complex environments. The more complexity exists in any process, the more difficult it becomes for humans to stay on top of it and make optimized decisions. Look at uh, computer vision is used in security settings, airports, military facilities, stadiums, where you're trying to, mo have you ever seen on TV or in a movie where, where you have the guards sitting in front of monitors? Yeah. Imagine if there was a thousand cameras. Yeah. How many people would you need to sit and stay on top of that to look for suspicious activity for someone to follow? That's greatly yeah. uh, um, suited for algorithmic technology. You train the algorithms on what suspicious activity looks like and then can monitor all of those uh, combined cameras and spot the things that you would be looking for if you had a thousand people constantly mm. you know, looking yeah, at, yeah, at, yeah, at each individual camera. So there's this huge relationship between complexity and the value that AI can bring uh, to the table. So on that, using the, the cameras <clears throat> and as, as an example, and I know it was only an example, but yeah. does privacy become a problem when you've got a thousand cameras on yeah, you? It depends which country you're in. Yeah. Okay. In China, it's no problem. <laughs> no yeah. problem In Australia, all. it's a problem. It's a problem. So <laughs> is, it, is, yeah. is there a, a regulator or a governing body or, or, or someone, especially in Australia, look, we're in Australia, that, that is looking after this and making sure that people aren't creating the next godlike creature? I, I I think there's two parts to that question. There's definitely rules and regulations around privacy and and, and what we can't and can't do because you don't need AI to for for example collect photographs of uh, of people still imagery mm -hmm. from uh, uh, different types of cameras and then try to identify them. You could do these kind of things in manual ways. So so there's laws regulating what we can and can't do. On the flip side, I don't think that there is any governing body that has legal authority to curtail or control what is done algorithmically or what isn't done mm -hmm. algorithmically. You also raised an interesting point around privacy and my response around country. Uh, I had a conversation a few years ago. Uh, the person will re remain unnamed, but he was the CEO of one of those uh, automobile associations. Mm -hmm. So someone very close to uh, the automotive sector. Yeah. And he told me, this very intelligent person, that driverless cars will never happen, mm -hmm. absolutely never happen. And he says, it's not a technological thing. It's what you're referring to, Daniel. It's, it's an acceptance kind of thing. And he, and he says, the reason it will never happen is because they will never give a machine the uh, decision on whether to kill the driver or kill a kid that's jumped yeah. out on the street. That was the example that he used. And my counter, I said he's wrong for the following reason. Some, you're 
that comment is made from the perspective of an Australian value system. Yes. And there are so many countries in the world that don't have that kind of value system at, at all. At all. And yes. those will be the places where driverless where cars, where it starts. And, and we, be, we point, I'll have what she's having. Yeah, yeah. But, but there'll be accidents and yes, uh, um, there'll be ethical decisions that have to be made, et cetera. But they'll be made in a cultural environment that has different values. As with any technology, you have improvement. And then once it reaches a certain level of improvement, it'll be brought into other countries in limited uh, use, so to speak. Yeah. So I always view technology in that way. There's always going to be some place that will do something that you and I couldn't imagine doing. Yeah. And that's because we're from a Western country and, and have been raised in a certain way. Well, that, that's the, the, the famous philo philosophical question. Uh, if, you're, if there's a, a, a runaway train cart Yes, coming down the hill, and there's a split in the train tracks, and there's uh, one train on one train track is a one person, yep. on the other train track there's five people. Yeah, and you've got you're sitting next to the lever. Yeah, currently the train tracks heading towards the five people. What do you do? It's a it's a, it's yeah. a famous. Yeah. There is no right or wrong yeah. answer. I guess well, it depends if I know the one person on the other well, side. Well, that is. <laughs> well, well, that's exactly right. Look, and it's one of those questions that yeah. there's so many what ifs no, and what I ifs, know. and you know, if there, if it's a, a a group of elderly that are five and a child on that's the one, then that's a yeah. whole different scenario. So it's a it's all really based, like you said, on the values correct of each individual and what they. And, and I'll tell you one thing that I've learned in life is that those types of questions, even though I laugh about them, it's, a, it's kind of a serious question. You know, it's, it's, uh, it cuts to your core values Absolutely. as a human being and how you value life and so on. But I, I've discovered that whatever we say we would do in certain circumstances, we probably uh, sometimes surprise ourselves yeah. when you actually are in those situations. Correct. So the number of times that I have said, oh, if I was ever in such and such situation, I would definitely do this. Yeah. And then I found myself in such and such situation. And I didn't do that no, at all. I did something. You question yourself. Yeah, you, do, you do something. So, yeah. so one thing is logically looking at a situation mm -hmm. and, and sitting at home with a, you know, a burgundy or something yeah. and a cigar by the fireplace <laughs> yeah. and having a philosophical conversation. Yeah. And another one is being in the heat of the moment Absolutely. with the emotion, the adrenaline, et cetera. And you've got to make some real decision. Yeah. Or no decision. Or no decision. Yeah. And then you find upon mm -hmm. reflection that what you thought you would to do wasn't at all what actually happened in the, in the real environment brilliant so there are three concerns of ai three main concerns yep. those being the existential threat that it yep. poses you know the rise of ai can wipe out the human civilization yep. there's the misuse you know like the facebook's of the world using personal information promotion selling that whole sort of piece yep. And then there's the overuse. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the Disney movie, The Wall-E. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, where, one of my favorite, They're all floating in space floating to in jelly space to clean up the garbage yeah, on Earth. Correct. Right? And essentially what that does is it, it's giving rise to the useless class, which yeah. people become lazy and rely on technology. What is your yep. thought process around probably the, the most worrying for you in those three categories? Okay, so... Uh, all excellent questions and and you know without spending hours let, let me give you my overall take first of all uh having been in ai for a long long time uh many people don't realize that ai has actually gone through hype cycles before this mm -hmm. is this is just the the latest and those hype cycles have ended in disappointment 
uh, to, to the point where they even, I think it was uh, late 80s, early 90s, there was an AI nuclear winter mm-hmm. to the point that if you were an AI scientist, you wouldn't even use AI because it was such a, you know, looked down upon, yep. a joke. Yep. Uh, and and during that era, new terms came to be. For example, soft computing mm-hmm. uh, um, became as, as kind of, a, or computational intelligence. They began calling it CI to distance themselves from AI. Now, all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's, it's hypey again. Oh my yeah. God, you know, is it going to kill everyone like Skynet? Is it going to yeah. take all our jobs, et cetera? Uh, so let's just put that into perspective. Yeah, I, I, I still believe that AI is a long, long, long way away from where people think it is. Yeah. So people that have just woken up to AI in the media might think, oh, it's just around the corner because those kind of stories sell. Well, you, you, Elon Musk is your most famous. He's saying at some point <clears throat> there's going to be existential threat yeah, from but, AI. But, 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 and there are people like uh, Ray Kurzweil that talks about the singularity and, yes. and, and so forth. But let me give you a counter kind of point to that. I, I spoke at an event where Ray Kurzweil spoke about the singularity uh, and how it was imminent, exponential growths of uh, rates of innovation. Ec- and, you know, Can you just it, explain singularity? For it, 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 it's the moment really where, uh, in, the, in the context of AI, where computational capability or uh, artif- intelligence that is artificially created meets that of, of uh, humanity and then exponentially grows from there. Mm-hmm. So the example that he uses of, is of the village idiot. And in natural evolution, the village idiot might take, you know, hundreds of generations to improve in intelligence if it ever happens. But AI can start off as a village uh, idiot at 9 a.m. on breakfast and then be <laughs> Einstein by lunchtime, so yeah, to speak. Wow. So those are the examples that I use. But, let, but I, I presented a counterpoint to all of that, which is the following. First of all, uh, a personal view, I think uh scientists in the world that study ai fit into three categories the third first category is elon musk uh, raker as well uh, people that believe it is inevitable that ai will reach human intelligence succeeded it's an ex- existential threat and so on second and raker as well talks about this being 10 20 years away which as a side note uh it has always been 20 years away <laughs> since 1952 yeah. right so from so, so, so the very very beginning yeah. it was always 20 years away yeah. and it's 20 we're years. supposed to be flying cars now, ab- so, ab- yeah. absolutely yeah. the second group of scientists believe that it will happen but it's definitely not 20 years away it's 50 or 100 mm-hmm. but it will happen and then this is the third set of scientists that believe it will never happen and it's not for technological reasons the uh, um, really interesting thing about the world and you and me Daniel um, Gabriella in the room and so forth is that we don't know from a physics point of view what we're made of mm-hmm. uh, so going back uh, more than a hundred years ago we're actually going back two thousand years ago the Greeks proposed that matter is made of something called atoms, which uh, the Greek root word is indivisible. Nothing can be smaller than an atom. Mm-hmm. That was a theory for a long, long time. And then all of a sudden, we found that there were subatomic particles. There was uh, new, uh, protons and neutrons and electrons. Everything had to be rewritten, but it was all good because all matter was made from these things. And then all of a sudden they found that there was actually something below that called quarks. And you had all of a sudden quantum mechanics come on the scene and you had uh, the subatomic particles up quarks and down quarks and so forth. The um, Hadron Collider in uh, in CERN was created Mm -hmm. and they built a, a bigger one. And then they, disca- and then they uh, built the standard model of physics and they said there's nothing more. 
And God, they could never reconcile quantum mechanics and general relativity, making physicists believe there is something more and it's at lower levels. And hence string theory came to the, yeah. to the table. So the point is that we don't know from a nature point of view, even what this table is ultimately no. made we're still of. Figuring it out. We're, still, we're still figuring it out. Some of the world leading physicists says that nature has created the universe in such a way that it can never be discovered. And the example that they use is to get down to what they call the Planck scale, the lowest level of matter. You would need to build a, a, a super collider that's as big as the universe. Mm -hmm. And when you switch it on, it'll create a black hole that swallows the whole yeah. universe, right? So a, a pretty amazing yeah. statement that nature is constructed in such a way that, it, that, that it's unknowable. Mm -hmm. So now let me transfer that uh, um, point to the brain. The brain is ultimately made also from matter, which we don't know how it works. We have understood only the first layer of the brain, which is neurons, synapses, and we haven't even understood it perfectly. Mm -hmm. um, neuroscientists and microbiologists are rethinking and reformulating basic concepts on uh, memory formation and recall, things that they we thought you know 30 or 40 years ago were understood. Mm -hmm. Say we model that first level of the brain and we understand it perfectly, which we don't. The only thing that will happen is we get to the next level of the brain, which they already know there's these microtubules and there's trillions of them. And yes, it impacts thought processes, but they're not sure why. Once they've mastered that, then you have the next layer until you reach the same problem you've reached in physics, where you don't understand really what the physical thing is made of, but yet you're trying to artificially recreate it at the same time. So I'm a huge believer in AI is not going to reach any level of hype, like the realization of the hype or of promise until we actually make brain breakthroughs in brain understanding mm -hmm. and brain function. So I always tell people, go and look at state of the art in, uh, in uh, neurological understanding and research around uh, actual uh, uh, how the brain is structured and how it functions, because that will need to be understood before it can be artificially re re recreated. And hence, I think people have really jumped the gun and they've said, oh, it doesn't matter how it really works. It doesn't matter. We don't know what physical matter is made of. It doesn't matter. We've only mapped the first level of, or not even mapped it, understood it, the first yeah. level of the brain. That None of that matters. Somehow we'll create a master algorithm that is just as good as the yeah. natural biological. I think that's a huge stretch and jump that I'm, I'm very <coughs> pessimistic on you know, it, it happening the way. Yeah, people I look. Talk. People have a, and I look. I must admit, I, when it comes to AI, I'm I'm scratching the surface level. You obviously have a much deeper understanding, hence the reason why we're sitting here talking about it. The the thought process, though, that most people go down, or I believe that most people go down, is it's almost like with AI. If we say we want this machine to do something in a certain you know, us, it's like the old Aladdin and the genie, the three wishes type scenario. Yep. Um, Mr. Machine, can you please make me the richest person in the world, right? Or Mr. Genie, sorry, can you make me the richest person in the world? And all of a sudden they kill all the human beings in the world. You are now the richest person. <laughs> right, so it does yep. something because it's not able to understand yep. the concept of, yep. of humility, empathy, uh, compassion, understand what the values of human uh, humans are. And so therefore it just it's still reaching the result that you asked for but not in the particular sequence that you you would have actually preferred so 
is that something where you believe most people fall down? They're just they're only really scratching the surface level of what AI actually is. Yeah, my my view is that <clears throat> a let, let me again take one step back. They've separated AI into these two broad buckets. Uh, they call one general AI, which is the original promise of AI. Mm-hmm. It's a machine that that can think, is uh, aware, uh, can reason, and and shows uh, every element of you know, human cognition. Mm-hmm. And and that, in my view, is massive science fiction at, at this point. Yep. The second area is narrow AI or specific AI, which is the application of AI algorithms like deep learning to very specific business problems like Siri on your phone, for example, yeah. or, or setting the prices and promotions yep. and celebrations and, and, and sip and save. So if we if we look at it that way, narrow AI is making lots of progress and it's actually generating great results. Our whole business is based on that. But in the end, those are very stupid systems compared to what general AI is supposed Mm. to be doing. Even the best state-of-the-art algorithms from Facebook and Google around image recognition. I read an article that they still confuse people for gorillas, uh, uh, school buses for ostriches, you know, mistakes that no human observer would would make. And those algorithms are so highly tuned to recognizing this or interpreting this, they don't carry over to... To you know, it's not like general intelligence. Yeah, yeah. So the the going back to your first question about the existential threat, there are so many algorithmic challenges within these fields of AI. I had a call from a person yesterday who was trying to commercialize a technology, and they've been trying to train AI algorithms for three years to recognize handwritten symbols, and the accuracy is at eighty percent. As a human being, you'd have 99% in terms of recognizing they've tried all these various things and are quite disheartened where it is. Mm -hmm. So that's like the reality of some of these things. But yet people are talking about existential threats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's a massive disconnect, I believe. We're also discounting the simple fact that the the, I know a lot of engineers, right? People who are creating and designing uh, some really amazing things. And at the core of most of these people is they want to do good. Yeah. Yep, right? Yep. They want to uh, they want to create and they want to keep people safe when they create. Yep. So we are definitely discounting the simple fact, oh yeah, it might end up in the wrong hands. I get that. But most people who are engineers and have that level of knowledge, it is my belief that they are trying to create something that is of value to the human existence, not yep. to take it away. I and, and I agree with you completely. And I think if we talk about existential threats, I think there are much bigger threats than AI. For example, uh, nanobots that uh, they're experimenting with things to put these very you know, microscopic, almost uh, particles in uh, uh, oceans to clean up oil slicks. Mm-hmm. But programmed in the wrong way, instead of eating oil, it might begin eating carbon-based things until it eats the whole planet, yeah. for example, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, another example is the from Terminator Skynet, uh, errat- try to eradicate mankind. You don't need AI to have that kind of scenario. You could actually just have a basic rule-based system mm-hmm. and you empower, just like a bank empowers a system to block a credit card transaction yeah. or to approve a credit yeah. card transaction, you could have a rule-based system that is empowered to launch uh, uh, attacks or to or to make certain actions. It doesn't have to even be based on AI. Yeah. Those, I think, are the real threats because they're real. They're, th- they're things that are here and now and and not based on speculation that we'll um, decipher 
the secrets of the brain, of nature and of physics, and then build a master algorithm and then somehow give it control of, you know, uh, military machinery or whatever the case. And then there'll be an, there's a lot of, you know, if, thens, buts, maybe, yeah, et cetera. So there's some real threats. That, was it that, as simple as just turning it off? <laughs> like, is, uh, couldn't you just send it an electromagnetic pulse uh, uh, and just... Well, that's an, another interesting subject that uh, Carrington effect mm. of uh, of solar flares yeah. and how it ri- wipes out uh, anything t- uh, technological based and, yeah. and so on. But uh, can can you turn it on? It it depends how it's deployed. The thing in Terminator is it went into every system, system every, and, yeah. every environment, and you would really have to have like an electromagnetic pulse over the to, whole planet to, to wipe it out to, to wipe everything out. It's kind of like a, a virus if. Or, or cancer in a body, if it's localized to one area, it's easier to deal with than if it's spread to, to everything, into your uh, lymph nodes, into your uh, blood, and, and so on. Yeah. Much more difficult then. There's a book written by a lady by the name of Pamela McCordick. Uh, and in that book, she, it's, it's called uh, Machines Who Think. Right? Machines Who Think. Yeah. It's written back in the 70s, I believe. Yep. She said that artificial intelligence began with it with the ancient wish to forge the gods. Uh, there's a new book out recently as well uh, by Yuval Noah Harari called Homo Deus. Homo Deus actually means God humans. Is it the same guy that wrote Sapiens? Sapiens, yeah, same guy. It's a great book. Great, great book. Great it, book. It actually, uh, Sapiens ends on, I think, the next step in the evolution of humanity yeah, so Hom- being a, a merge of with technology well homo so deus is his next book after sapiens which discusses what his thought processes are i see of the humans and of, of the human race i guess what i'm asking is do are we actually creating something that is greater than us is that the next step in human evolution yeah I think uh, yes, but I wouldn't answer that question yes from an AI perspective. So I think a uh, more interesting area is the merging of technology and biology together. Yeah. And I think there's, look at technology over the last 40 years. If anything, it's gotten closer to us. You know, you had a computer, then the laptop got closer. Uh, you've got tablets, you've got phones, everything's everything's coming closer. And I think Elon Musk says that the interface is too slow, you know, typing yeah. and, and, and so forth. But it would be nothing to do with artificial intelligence if you could implant a chip into the brain and have that chip interact That's with the Neuralink, isn't it? Which is yeah, but 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 to enable telepathy in the sense, yeah, access okay. to the internet, uh, um, to to do away with the device, to have to have direct access. It's almost like the Matrix, where you plug in and well, download the, the content you want. And all talking that. about philosophical discussions, where that could go in the future is uh, that the whole simulation theory that you yeah. know, once you connect biology and technology, the most popular video game in the world will be one where you sit in a chair, they put you. To sleep and you're actually born on some planet mm. and you have a whole experience and then you die you mm. wake up you know a minute has passed and like total recall yeah kind of, yeah that, that kind of theme so i think this area is phenomenally interesting for a couple of reasons one lots of research already exists uh, i think even going back 10 or 20 years there was uh, studies by was it mit or one of the major universities where they had three groups of rats the first group ran through a maze and had an average time. Second group had their short-term memory uh, 
cut out from their you know, very cruel experiment, but they were almost lobotomized from a memory perspective, and they couldn't complete the maze. They got lost in the maze. And the third group had the same medical procedure as the second group, but had a special, let's call it random access memory chip designed specifically for a rat brain, grafted on somehow, and they outperformed the first group. And these are real experiments yeah. that have already taken place in the past. There's great Scientific American articles about the military uh, taking control of biological like insects because for surveillance reasons. If you make a, a small camera and, and flying device, it's very limited by its weight and battery life, but not a biological mm -hmm. in insect. And they talk about all the experiments and how that's gone to human beings. And, and, and then if you park that to the side, all the studies that are being done around people that have lost limbs uh, to have an artificial limb and being yep. able to control it and so forth. So where all of that will head in a very dangerous way is the augmentation of the human body for performance reasons. Yeah. Uh, first, it will happen for military and for um, medical reasons. Yeah. But then imagine being a stock trader or a lawyer or even a writer and being able to have a medical procedure where you have photo, you know, a photographic memory forever. You can access any piece of information, any case law, uh, your thesaurus, <laughs> Is it Black Mirror? Have you seen Black Mirror? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and going back to the driverless car example, yeah. at the very beginning, uh, that will be illegal in most countries, yeah. but not all countries. Yeah. And you'll be able to go to one of those countries and have an experimental procedure that you could probably die. It'll be a large likelihood yeah. of dying, but for some, that's going to be worth it as well. And then yeah. over time, you get the round two. Don't don't be one of no the, no don't, don't be yeah, in yeah, the second release or third. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so be an early adopter in that world. So, so this is so this is why when I hear about AI being a threat to humanity, that might be true in the you know far future from now. I can see a lot of more immediate threats that I think are more yeah. you're losing our humanity through this blurring Absolutely. of technology and and biology. Those are more concerning things than uh, you know. Siri doesn't work properly on my phone yeah. and I want to smash it every time I use it. And this is from a trillion dollar company, yeah. right? And, then, and in the same breath, we talk about existential. Yeah, no, it, it's, the, it's the creative human mind always going to worst case scenario, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. The interesting piece for me is... Um, is when we we talked about I talked about the, the next step of evolution of, of human beings, yep. and based on what you said about the human body and the upgrades, I guess that yep. we could make to our body. Is are we? Is AI and even just technology, I guess, in its own right, proving that we're merely just a vessel? Our bodies are just a vessel, and then we can upgrade. Is that something that people are thinking of, or? Mm. And when I talk about the evolution of human beings into, you know, we could potentially upload our consciousness yeah. into uh, into AI or yeah. into a machine, it, the next level of – are we the next gorillas? You spoke about gorillas. Are we the next gorillas? Gorillas gave birth to Homo sapiens essentially – uh, there's a lot more science behind it, yeah. but in the most basic form gave birth to Homo sapiens – we then evolved as a smarter being. Hasn't really worked out well for the gorillas. They're now <laughs> second in charge, I guess. Yeah. We've taken over the world. Is that where we're heading as well? In, from yeah, who knows where we're heading, but you've touched upon another very difficult unsolved problem, which is called the mind 
brain problem. Mm-hmm. And the question really is, is your you, your consciousness, your experience, etc., purely a biological phenomenon from the, the how the matter is constructed in, in your head, the neuron snap structures, etc.? Yeah. Or is there something, you know, in religious uh, circles, they call it the spirit or the soul, etc.? But is there something beyond the actual physical brain, right? Is it the same or uh, that's an unsolved question yeah. and and uh, and 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 one that is i think scientific america called one of the 10 hardest questions of all time or hard problems of, yeah. of, of all time so if they're the same thing just figure you know for argument's sake then it should be possible at some point to be able to connect technology and biology and just have a transfer from what they call it wetware to hardware from mm-hmm. a biological brain to yeah and then you know, in, in the future, maybe even clone your body and download it back. You could live yeah, forever yeah. In, in, in that kind of environment. There, which, there's a really good TV. I can't remember the name of it. There's a really good TV show, which is their, their bodies are just a vessel. Yeah. They, they, they're created and only the rich have access to these uh, to these vessels, I guess, where their, their bodies are just recreated. And when they've broken their leg, they go, oh, we'll just – Get a new one off the shelf and plug is, ourselves in. And on, is on, that on. the island? There's a few movies. No, like not the that. Uh, the island is it's one good, of them. That's an grow, old one. Yeah. Grow replacement uh, yeah. parts. <laughs> that is that is one of them. No, it's a new one. Oh, 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 I can't remember. It's, it's on Netflix. I know that much, but it's uh, it's quite good. Yeah, no, they're all I, I, shows like that and movies like that really uh, expand our thinking and perspective yeah. and, well, and it gives it it's almost gives us goals a goal to achieve in in a yeah. sense doesn't it because yeah. it's the creative mind and then well it also from i'm a uh, fan of uh, ancient civilizations mm-hmm. and uh, i've traveled to all the famous locations like the nazca lines and easter island and so on but the interesting thing about the uh, Egyptians is that they believed that if you lost your body, you would be lost forever. Which, w- when I was in school, they laughed at them. Look at this, you know, superstitious uh, ancient people that knew nothing. But actually, they knew something that we didn't know at the time. If you lose your DNA, you'll be lost forever. Mm, you'll ne- you, yeah, so, so it actually some of these things uh, cast recast the past on what they might have been thinking why was it so important to preserve the mummy the body in a mummified way in the best possible condition that it would last thousands of years and potentially enter another world etc this is beginning to yeah like jurassic park you yeah. find a strain of dna and, the, and so in forth the, in the but, but but on the other hand if the brain is just you know, one thing and what makes life and our existence special is something else, something that sits beyond the brain, just just like all the religious people would believe, then there'd probably be no hope for ever uploading that because the the thing that makes you you is not actually in your biology, so yeah. so to speak. But these are such unknowns and and we're a long way off. Yeah, we're 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 a long, long way off. It's it's kind of like you have to die to find things out, and and maybe when you die, you don't find anything out because it's, <laughs> you, it's blackness forever when after. <laughs> when you're dead, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. There's the notion we know that we are just merely stardust, so our body breaks down and it goes yep. off into the universe, and we just form into something else later. Not not as a piece, but our you know our yep. atoms and our, our matter is then spread across the universe like the ashes and. Yep. 
grab onto something else and something not, else. Is not good. many people really appreciate why we are all stardust, and that's because in the early uh, years, and by early years, I mean you know hundreds of millions of years, there was really only gases, light mm. materials. Mm. There was no iron. There was none of the substances from which we're made, and you had to ha um, have these light materials form stars the stars had to burn through all their energy collapse into heavier materials and finally explode and when they exploded they spewed those heavier materials mm -hmm. all around the universe and that's what planets were formed from what what yeah, life absolutely. comes from etc so every single human being is comes from a star it's a, it's an it's 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 not it's, a figurative thing literally no. we yeah. come from a star yeah it's <laughs> Fact. It's fact. Yeah. yeah because what's in the stars that's is, right. is what's that's, in us. That's, that's what I remind myself when I go to yeah. bed after a tough day. Hey, I'm from a star. Yeah. yeah. I am a star. <laughs> I am a star. <laughs> I said it was a yeah, my day. wife says, go to bed. Shut up. <laughs> get me, get yeah. me more wine. Stop drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, you, um, do you have any major concerns about where we're going i know you've mentioned oh, sort of but is there anything that that you feel I, is one that we should really start concentrating on now like uh, within ai or, or within yeah so what concerns for the world that ai could improve i should yeah i yeah. should clarify that so environmentally uh, could we work on things I, I have lots of concerns about where we're going because capitalism is a system that creates super rich and super poor, as we're beginning to observe. Yeah. And this is why you have uh, radicals being elected into power, because there's just so many people that have much less than their parents had. You know, you look at uh, in the United States, the number, the have-nots is growing. The people are, are worse off than, mm. than they were before, but yet the super rich are exponentially going up. So capitalism creates this divide, and that's a very dangerous and, and unhealthy long-term trend, mm -hmm. which a which, um, lot of bad things can happen. In terms of uh, uh, concerns about... Uh, artificial intelligence or, or things that we should be focusing on. Again, I don't think it's AI. What I'm concerned about, it's related, to, kind of similar, is about giving systems too much control. They don't have to be AI systems. It can be any kind of system. Yeah. Uh, I ha had a conversation, I think it was today or, or yesterday with someone, and we talked about how 40 years ago, people really use their brain to do equations and arithmetic, et cetera. And, you know, once you've had calculators become affordable, spreadsheets, et cetera, how many times have you been in a store and someone, you know, the, the kid behind the counter has trouble adding numbers together yeah. or subtracting them? They become so dependent on technology yeah. that basic skills have, have eroded. Same in production plants. 30 years ago, people could create a plan, create a schedule, understand constraints, theory of constraints, operations research. Today, you know, not to down talk people that do difficult jobs, but they rely on buttons and applications. And when those buttons and applications fail, very few of those people can say, okay, that's all good. I'm going to manually recreate the whole thing. We'll yeah. do it old school. Yeah. Just, that's been lost. So look at driverless cars. Uh, people talk about in 50 years' time, people won't know how to drive cars anymore, right? We lose skills okay. as as uh, a calculator or a spreadsheet or a software system, a driverless car begins taking, like you don't know how to ride a horse, I bet, right? 
Or do no, you? I, no. When I went horseback riding, they gave me the one with a U shape. Yeah, <laughs> My yeah I, ha- I haven't even been, and I'm sure I'd get the same thing. But a hundred years ago, that would be unheard of that we wouldn't know how to ride yeah. a horse, right? Yeah. So, well, so, we're still comparing the car to the horse power, aren't we? <laughs> that's the horsepower. So you look at if we had any kind of major global event, you know, some meteor hitting or uh, a Carrington effect, etc. Solar flare or something. Solar flare. It'd be actually people with the basic survival skills that would yeah. be the most valuable. Those who can live off the land. First Correct. Of all, yeah. Can hunt, can filter water, yeah. all, all of that kind of stuff. So the thing that I kind of fear is that you create this um, level upon level of automation where it erodes just the basic skills. Everyone becomes some ultra specialist in something that in the end, is uh, completely disconnected from yeah. what we started off with well, as a species. It talk goes into the useless. Uh, what, what did I say before? It was the overuse. No, the um, the useless class. Yes, where we think we know a lot. Yeah, because we can push a button, we know how it all goes together. Yep. But really, we we really ba- lose yep. the, but, the but knowledge of the basic. I agree with that, and I don't think AI. Is is the perpetrator or 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 the bad guy? It's humans that, being lazy <laughs> and and capitalism wanting more and more automation. Yeah. So look at uh, um, factories a hundred years ago. Look at factories today. Look at agriculture a hundred years ago. Look at the automation is widespread. There's not a company I don't go into that doesn't want to automate. How many how many businesses have you met that say Daniel? We don't want automation. We want to go back to manual ways of working with more people. Have you met one company like that? No. No, neither have I, no. right? So it's not that they're saying, Daniel, we want AI so that we can you know, automate or, or stuff like AI might be a technique, but they, just the general concept of automation mm-hmm. what, in, in whatever kind of way so we can be more efficient, so that we can have less errors, so we can have you know, all these business reasons why you would do it. So I think just this is why I always come, I don't want to sound like a communist, right? Because <laughs> I, keep, I keep saying, you know, cap, but capitalism is really the driving force behind all of these things. The, it's not that business people want AI for the sake of AI. There's always a commercial Outcome. outcome always and is that so you mentioned that as a potential concern yeah for you but yet you're i'm going to challenge you here that yes. you're creating a product that is adding to that i i, I think so yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that i'm part of the solution in the sense that we create a product that uh, gives more people more work it's just the opposite it's mm-hmm. just, but we're just like every one of our competitors and every other uh, product out there mm. so you're uh, going in and selling software that is going to create commercial outcomes and every implementation we do has business cases that revolve around automation and uplifts in performance mm-hmm. improved margin improved volumes improved revenue yes. and and so on everything comes back no no ceo says matt i want to just implement the technology because i love technology yeah. i've never heard that it's no. always the business driver behind it so yeah. businesses is this massive force. How do I do more for less? Correct. Really? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So if it is a problem, I'm going to dive into this. Yeah, yeah. If it is a problem for you, well, you believe that it is a future problem, yep. aren't you just creating more of that problem? I, I, in, in a way, uh, yes, but in the same way that uh, in a system, if you go against the system, You'd starve. You, you'd, you'd well, so what, yes. what's, what's the, what, what should I do at home? Grow vegetables in the <laughs> yeah. backyard no, and, yeah. and teach my kids that they, they should, uh, yeah, yeah. C- correct. You yeah. know, um, grow corn in the back and eat that and spend the next 60 years like that. So uh, I've always, uh, 
raised my kids with the view, and we talked about this last time, of how to be an entrepreneur, not from a capitalistic perspective, but how to create opportunities for yourself so you can exist, yeah. so you can survive. This yeah. is, I always say that entrepreneurs and salespeople in particular are the modern equivalent of hunters 10,000 years ago. Yeah. If you were a hunter, you could feed yourself and your family. Yes. If you didn't know how to hunt, you were you were dependent on a hunter or you'd die, right? Mm -hmm. it's there. So if you know how to sell and you know how to create economic opportunities, you are like the equivalent of a hunter from uh, yeah, bygone absolutely. times. Those are the skills that I'm trying to, and what And today, the hunting revolves automation, efficiencies, and and so forth. So if you it want does. to hunt, that's the, the the stuff that's running around the forest. That's where uh, <laughs> you have to put all your efforts. But what it also does is it provides you opportunity to you raise your profile, you uh, educate more and more people about the potential pitfalls yep. of where you're going to. If you're just uh, growing the corn in the backyard, you're really only serving the four people in your household. True, true. And and just like look at companies that create uh, automation or might create some level of displacement, they themselves create jobs and create opportunities and, and so on. So it's um, I think it's an awful kind of mental process to go through to say, gosh, what can I do uh, to provide for my family, give my kids a good future and make sure that you know every single I don't create pollution and mm. you know I I, I don't uh, sell anything that God someone might lose their job over or anything like that. You'd almost it almost be back to your example of the five people on that runaway uh, train, train wagon. Why yeah. you'd almost be paralyzed from doing anything? It'd be it'd be really really yeah. Difficult. Look, it, yeah. it's a it's one that you know I often think about is you know I'm building a business and I'm trying to grow and, and, and yes provide a, a rich lifestyle when I say rich a, a fruitful lifestyle I should yeah. say for my family that we can experience and travel the world and do what you know experience some of the things that the world has to offer uh, you, you can't do that by sitting on your bum yeah right? yeah you have to get up and, and do something so that that is definitely but it's also uh, am I contributing you know we work with some large corporates who are potentially doing things which might not hit my value system or my yep. value set, um, but they are doing some really amazing stuff for the world and, and taking us forward. But there are, there's also some things environmentally that they yeah. might not be. Uh, You'd have that, to investigate every customer you do business with. Well, and you see do. What I guess there, yeah, there's, there's always the two sides to the coin isn't there yeah. there's always they're doing great because they're raising this and they're doing well this but they're digging into the earth or something uh, like you've that. made me think though um there's been a number of deployments that we've done that have actually uh, had the opposite effect uh and these were for salespeople because salespeople in the field mm -hmm. Uh, selling low-value products have really disappeared over the years. Think of uh, people selling vacuum cleaners door-to-door -door yeah. or buy. They don't exist anymore. Yeah. And there's a lot of fear that a lot of salespeople won't exist anymore. People that are selling uh, alcohol products, uh, food products, uh, buckets of paint because they're very low-value uh, kind of items. Yeah, you just put an ad online and yeah, or, or do it through digital, me digital methods yeah. and, and so on. And yet we've had a number of software deployments where those salespeople have been enabled with AI technology that makes them in, like a super salesperson in the sense, imagine having all the time in the world to analyze 
every customer you have, say there's a thousand in your territory every single day to understand where all the problems and opportunities are, who you should be talking to, what value adding information you should be giving. You'd be a, you'd be Superman, yeah. right? Have you got that technology? Yeah, and, and one, of, one of our applications, <laughs> uh, COP, Customer Opportunity Profiler, um, uses <laughs> internal company, all transactions, call center transcripts, complaints, missed deliveries, goes to social media, what news items and so forth. And in the morning, SMSs and emails the sales rep of the most important things to do through automated analysis that the system has done, not through notes that the rep has put yeah, in anywhere. Wow. And then when the rep clicks it, like it might be a thing like one of your customers is running a big event, just appeared on social media. For that event, they're going to need these three products from you. Make sure you call them today or visit. You wouldn't know that unless you had been paying attention. Can you sign me up? And, <laughs> but, and, and then they just click Just throw it in that. there with the book. They go into the application. They have a list of all the customers. They select the ones that they want to see. And then the system sequences the visits when they should see them to maximize that. Yeah. And the salesperson that was... Uh, not a poor performer, but was just human, all of a sudden has a huge step up through this automation of analysis that would have been impossible to do manually. So Who's got the time to do that? No one's got the time. Yeah, that's so right. that's We've why. reached the point where no one can analyze all the available data and no. information to make decisions. So you know, when you've raised that, there, there have been maybe half of our projects would fit into that category where there hasn't been an automation aspect and it's been to upgrade the human beings so that they can actually sell more, retain customers, have better conversations with prospects and customers and, yeah. and, and so on. And then the other half of projects would have an automation element to them and they would sit most you know, in supply chain areas and, and, uh, and, and so on. But I think those projects where you actually augment someone's job and they're able to do it so much better and has a huge, uh, um, you know, good goodness attached absolutely. to it. Absolutely, it makes you feel good inside. Well, we offer a service that that changes people's lives, right? Where we work in the world of culture, leadership, change. Yeah, uh, that that were where people uh, within businesses will feel more valued because there's been a. Uh, an upgrade, I guess, in the in the way of leadership thinking, uh, the improvement in the culture of the business. Yep. If there was a technology like that that could reach that I could use to reach more clients to ultimately make their people feel more valued, then yep. you have a far greater reach yep. than you know me sitting in front of LinkedIn, clicking on oh yeah, I could speak to that guy yep. uh, or girl. So that there's. A, Oh, the, the upside for that is that what you're doing is you're actually creating far more connection pieces beyond just that salesperson. Yep. That the person on the other end is, or the thousands of people on the other end are, are getting their benefits as well. Without a doubt, I always believe that in sales, uh, good salespeople educate and add value help to customers and help them succeed. Mm -hmm. And to do that, unfortunately, requires some form of analysis. Like you, you can't wake up and go and talk to six customers and just spontaneously come up with, you know, educational yeah, information correct. to give them, how to help them succeed, be an expert. It requires, good sales requires analysis. Yeah, and hence, the, you're not automating anyone's job because the analysis that should be happening isn't happening. Yeah. So you automate the analysis. No, no automation happens from a human perspective, mm -hmm. but that automation of analysis that wasn't done now makes those salespeople much more effective than they were before. So I think that there are areas where, automation is applied to tasks that aren't done by humans 
And by applying automation to them, it makes the human on the other end that much more productive yeah. rather than applying automation to the human themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can I get on to that program? I, yeah, I can show it to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was my goal for this whole <laughs> yeah, podcast, yeah, Daniel, to sell you a piece of software. You I've been in. sending you subliminal messages. <laughs> As I walked in, the, the product was on the wall. <laughs> the piece in all that where we're offering value um, and we're offering data that could improve the human's life, I guess, yep. by pr- providing. In that same book, Homo Deus by uh, Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote Sapiens, yep. he mentions that dataism will become the new religion. Dataism. He's calling it dataism will become the new religion where data becomes the most powerful thing in the world. Do you agree or disagree? I, I don't know, to, to be honest. Again, when I think of people... I don't think of you and me. I think of all the, you know, I think there's uh, 197 countries, there's 6,000 languages being used on the planet. There's even in the United States, you have the whole bell-shaped curve from Mm -hmm. the stupidest people ever created (laughs) to the smartest people ever created. So it's very difficult to kind of say across all of those cultures, all across those value systems and so forth, this one thing will become the most valuable. Look at how powerful religion is and people's, belief in in something greater than themselves and in life and that suffering in life rewards itself after death and and so forth and and to, and you know for, for those billions of people to trade that as the most important thing for data isn't i i can't really I can't. well i think i think for, for well when i i guess where he's coming in from western countries where western business, countries um well slant, they, the people will rely on the data for for their, to make choices. But we've always done that. That's, that's like the, the only thing that will be different is there's more data. And we'll, just like uh, it was when we moved from pen and paper to a calculator, that was a step up, right? Mm. Made things easier. And when we moved from a calculator to a spreadsheet, that was, that was a step up. You, so you'll move just... to AI, to some form of algorithm, which will be like the next computational tool or, or, uh, or method because you have to use something more sophisticated when more data is available. And it's more dynamic but i think all of us have been trying to make decisions based on data you know in, in my 45 years on this planet i have i've seldom met people that say i don't i don't ever look at data when i make decisions i don't want to know what happened i i just go totally on my gut and yeah. totally on, like that again it's not a not a person that you would you meet all of us would would think that we would make well, you it. would do some analysis yeah but you, the, that's a good point though the gut feel is uh, Michelle and I have often talked about this that we believe our gut feel yep. is generally the right decision to go with. We we can do all the the data analysis and background checks, but in some certain yep. certain uh, circumstances where you know the livelihoods of people and the welfare and benefits of of the people in our team, our gut feel for what's best yep. is the right decision. There's a good book, uh, "Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow,", Slow yeah. that you know by Daniel Kahneman. Yeah, that, that 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 talks about this. So not to discount. Uh, keep in mind that your intuition and gut feel has kept uh, you. I, I mean it in a collective sense. Has kept us alive as a species for mm. you know thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So. Uh, when 
there wasn't much data other than a bush moving in the wind or a smell or a sound in the night, yeah, etc. The cracking of a, of a, a tree. tree a yeah, tree, yeah. Abso- ab- absolutely. So uh, the people probably that could make the best decisions, their genetics are part of our genetics today. People that made very poor decisions yeah. <laughs> aren't here anymore. Yeah, correct. And their genetics aren't, aren't here anymore. <laughs> but I, I, I'll have to think, ponder upon that. We're definitely in a modern era where uh, systems are given more autonomy, systems are running on data, business people and people in general are trying to make data-driven decisions, evidence-based decisions, and and so on. Uh, and, and that's here to stay. I don't think yeah. it's going to go the other way. So going back to your book mm-hmm. that you've written, you said you've co-written yeah, with, this? Yeah, with my father and a third person, Leonardo Arantes. Arantes. Is, is the book structured in sort of from three different angles. You mentioned before that you and your father think differently. Is there, give us a little bit of background behind. Sure. Um, Attached to this podcast, we'll have the the first part of the book and uh, every listener can download it and read it. But it's structured into four parts. Part one is really an introduction into AI with chapter one being what is it? Just like we've talked about yep. it. Where does, where does machine learning fit in? Is it part of AI? Where do algorithms sit? Um, neural networks, vision systems, and so forth. It paints the picture and tells the story of how the field came to be mm-hmm. and where it is today and what are the challenges and how to look at it. Mm-hmm. The next chapter applies AI to decision-making, which is what our business is all about and what my father has specialized in for the last 40 years. Better decisions create business, better business outcomes, more profit, more margin, uh, increased market share, and so on. The third chapter takes a specific business problem, which we use promotional planning and pricing because of its complexity Mm -hmm. and breaks that problem down into what is the data, what is the information layer, what is the knowledge layer. Then you move into AI prediction, optimization, and so on. So it's a nice kind of first part that takes a reader from a a raw introduction into a very detailed, complex business problem written in an easy-to-understand way and how AI applies. All of part two is a discussion on data and algorithms. So if you ever wanted to know what deep learning was or a neural network or uh, random forest or ant systems, they're all in their data issues, how to deal with problems that have no data or dirty data or messy, messy data uh, and learning, which is a key element of, of AI. Yeah. Then the third part is application areas and case studies. And then the fourth part is conclusions and how to bring AI into a business setting. Talks about things like digitalization, for example. Many companies try to jump into AI without first having digitalized business processes and workflows Mm -hmm. and really optimizing the way they work and what tools they could be doing it with. Uh, before applying an advanced level of technology um, to that. So so it takes the, the reader from an introduction to the subject to an in-depth exploration of the details. AI is made of algorithms to application areas written for business people all the way to conclusions and how do I bring it into my own environment. Right. So your target market is the business Reader, reader, yes. so the CI, the CIO, or anyone within. No, any, anyone. I mean, it, it can even be someone doing the job. It can be a production planner, yeah. a scheduler. It could be entrepreneurs. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's written for if you have a degree 
in computer science, then there are probably elements of that book that you would find interesting, which are the business elements that mm -hmm. you probably wouldn't be across coming from an academic um, background. But that isn't, you would be very across the techniques and, and how yeah. they work and the data and, and so on. Probably the application areas would be interesting because it gives you the business context. But the business reader, and this is my personal observation, AI is hyped and very few people, everyone talks about it, but very few people really understand what they're talking about. Mm. You know, I've been in, in big meetings in really big companies where they talk about some business problem and then they say, oh, we'll just throw machine learning at that. Yeah. Next next problem, yeah. right? Or, oh yeah, we'll, we'll throw AI at that. And you, and you think, Gee, they have no idea at all mm -hmm. what they're talking. And it's, and it's written for those kind of people. Okay. Not to talk down to them, but just to explain it in very simple language that, that when they have that conversation, it's now structured in their head. Yeah. Well, they're making false claims by being able to throw machine learning at it. It's not going to work, is it? So. Yeah. What's even worse, they're not even sure what machine learning yeah, is. Yeah, well, but, that's but, true. <laughs> but they've heard it being thrown at things. <laughs> well, it's such, a, it's such a deep topic. It, it goes yeah. into so many areas. It goes philosophical. It goes technical. It goes evolutionary. Like it, It's really a, 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 such an amazing topic. We yeah. are. I am conscious of your time. We are heading coming to to the end, so I don't want to take you too much more. No problem. Can man. you name what is what's the name of the the book? The rise of artificial intelligence. The rise of artificial intelligence, and that's to be released when January. January. Yep. Brilliant. You're very excited about it. This is your fourth, fifth, fifth, fifth yeah. book. Um, I, I'm not. It's always nice to create a book, uh, and it's a subject that's very close to my heart. Uh, but like many things that when you do something for the first time, like you create your first business or you write your first book or uh, the excitement then is incredibly intense. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, w once you've created five businesses or written five books, it's it's uh, it's not quite as exciting as yeah. it was. There's, there's more work than you remember. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it requires more wine to, uh, yeah. to, to process. Well, you mentioned that before yeah. uh, before our podcast. You mentioned that the, no, but I'm very, the wine was flowing quite nicely. I'm very proud of yeah. the material. And that's one thing that you want to do as an author. Everything that you put your name on, same as an entrepreneur, you want to be proud of it. You want it to... Uh, to represent something, some standard that you hold yourself uh, to account or, or some representation of yourself yeah. in, in your mind. It reminds me of a very quick story from the founder of Lego. And there's a book, might have been Brick by Brick, I can't remember, that, that I read about the Lego story and how they almost went bankrupt mm -hmm. and they had to mm -hmm. reinvent themselves and so on. But the story is that the founder, they started off as making like toys and stuff like that. And the founder had a son. The son was in the business. He became a CEO of Lego later. And he found a way to save money, the son, by not painting the back of something that was placed against the wall. And I can't remember what it was. Like maybe they started off making furniture or yeah. at, at yeah. some point. And he went to his father and said, look, look at this great, you know, savings that I've, that I've made, all the paint we're going to save. And the father was furious, absolutely furious and said, you know, go back and make sure all of those backs are painted yeah. and the and the son said but no one's no one will see it no one will know mm -hmm. and the father said i'll know mm. and that became that story became kind of like the ethos of lego of quality yep. how it didn't matter if no one knew or see it the quality yep. would never be compromised Just, steve jobs same story his father was a cat well, his stepfather um a, 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 he's an, he was adopted so he's uh 
his father, he claims, was a cabinet maker. Uh, oh, I and, didn't know that. Wow. And he, and through the Steve Jobs autobiography written by Walter Isaacson, Steve was always saying that uh, the back of the desk or the back of the the the, um, the bookshelf was always the most important because it doesn't matter if uh, no one's going to ever see it. The fact is that it's built properly. Yeah. Well, uh, and so, same, same and concept. so when Steve Jobs came out and built, bought out his Apple Mac, you could see through it. Remember how you yes, could see through yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. And he wanted to, everyone to see that it was built properly. Yeah, when he from, came back as CEO. When he came back. I think it was the iMac. Yeah, the iMac. I remember. Yeah, so yeah, same concept. It's a, it, do you apply the same for your... I think everyone has in their mind, even subconsciously, some standard. Yeah. For some people, it's a conscious standard, like for Steve Jobs or you know the founder of Lego, where you could verbalize it and yeah. you, could, you could talk about it. For others, um, it's an unspoken standard. They might do something sloppy and it's okay, and that that's that's a representation yeah. of their unspoken standard. So, so when you said you know around the book, it's a lot of work because for me, I want it to be at a certain level, mm-hmm. uh, and if I didn't, yeah. then, then it wouldn't be so much work. What's but the point of releasing? Yeah, it? yeah, correct. Brilliant. Are you going to go on a road show with it? No, or no? no, Just no. To, I'm yeah. trying to see how long I can go without being on an airplane. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Seven might, months now. Yeah, wow. So. <laughs> Before you started, what was the – how How often did you travel? Every week I traveled at least twice. Wow. So I made four flights there, there every four, single week. Every single week. Yeah. So seven months. And, it's, and it's been like that for years and years and years, like probably since I came to Australia. Long, long travel just around Australia for the yeah because yeah. you got a very few overseas trip yeah ninety five percent Australia and New, and New Zealand because you've got business in yeah. all parts of when you Australia. live in Adelaide uh, it's not the epicenter of big business in Australia yeah. I think it's the epicenter of wine and a lot of other great yeah. things but but not of big business so I think you've really got to as an entrepreneur physically spend some time in Sydney and Melbourne mm-hmm. establish presence um, build a customer base. Yeah. Uh, to create a business that has some of those, um, you know, blue chip logos yeah, that, that everyone wants. So you're spending much more time with your family now, which must be yes, great. I've seen, well, they've seen more of me than they thought they'd ever yeah, see. Yeah, they're it's, probably it's, sick of you. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a chance they'll be sick of you, mate. Look, thank you very much for Pleasure, uh, Daniel. Coming on again today. I know we we mentioned last time that we might even get a third podcast in with you talking about sales and yes, potentially that'd be an interesting one. Uh, entrepreneurs and people with you know growing their businesses and some areas that they could yep. look at. Especially with your now that I understand that you're um, uh, helping salesmen out in the data world as well, which is yes, which is fantastic. Yeah. It'd be great to touch on that. We uh, yeah, we're very thankful for for you coming on again. Um, I'm positive that uh, the listeners will, will love every word as we have. Uh, thank you very much for coming in. Pleasure, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye bye. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.